Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Welcome, Vineyard Church, to Vineyard Online. So excited to be with you this week. You know, over the past couple of weeks, as we have been meeting online, this is our fourth week meeting online. One of the things that I have completely gotten in touch with is how much I miss you guys and how much I love you guys. I love my church, and I don't mean the organization or the building, I mean the people. You guys are some of the best people I know, and it is an honor and a privilege to be your pastor, but even more so just your friend and to walk through life and do life together. So just know that I miss you. I can't wait to be together again soon. And in the meantime, just know that I love you, and I speak for the whole staff team and our volunteers in saying, we love you guys. You know, today's Palm Sunday, and uh, I'm going to do a Palm Sunday sermon. If you grew up in the church, you might be familiar with the story of Palm Sunday and, and, and the account in the Bible that we see in Luke chapter 19 and in John chapter 12. If you didn't grow up in the church, let me catch you up. Uh, Jesus does his public ministry for about three years, and towards the very end, in fact, the Sunday before he is crucified, He comes into Jerusalem, and they call it the Triumphal Entry or Palm Sunday, uh, because in John's account, the people were waving palm branches as Jesus rode into town. But it's this big celebration, almost like a parade and uh, a proclamation that Jesus actually was the Messiah that they were waiting for, and everybody is singing and shouting and, and, and welcoming him in as the new king of Israel. Now, there's only one problem with that. He's not the king of Israel, and Rome occupies Israel and will have no other kings other than Caesar and the puppet kings that they have in place. So Jesus is riding into what would be considered today and at any day, in his day, of course, a tense situation. Now, I'm going to read to us from the book of Luke in Luke chapter 19 and Luke's account. And it says this, they brought it to him, uh, it being a donkey. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. So Jesus is riding down the hill into Jerusalem and people are throwing their cloaks on the road. What this this is, is kind of the red carpet treatment. He's a king uh, and he's riding down and they're, they're kind of signifying that. It says, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they said. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said this. He said, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus had been kind of keeping this lid on his identity, that he is the Messiah, the one that they were waiting for. Uh, and and it, it, people would ask him, are you? And, and he'd, he'd, he'd kind of divert it or he'd dodge the question or he'd say, my time hasn't yet come. But now Jesus is out in the open. There's, there's no hiding it. He says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And Jesus just proceeds. As, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, it says, he wept over it. 
and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So this is quite a dramatic scene. Jesus riding down into Jerusalem and this celebration breaks out, this, this unveiling of who he really is breaks out. See, the nation of Israel had been waiting for their Messiah to come. And they had been thinking for three years, watching Jesus as he would do miracles and heal people and teach in ways they'd never heard before. Maybe he is them, and, or maybe he is the one they've been waiting for. But, but again, Jesus had been kind of dodging the question. Uh, they've been waiting for a Messiah to come and, and, and throw the Romans out to be their political rescuer, to establish the kingdom of Israel again, to be the one that God would send to restore the glory of Israel. And the Roman occupation just fed that hunger. The problem is, is that Jesus hadn't come to lead a political revolution he hadn't come to establish an earthly kingdom. He came to lead a spiritual revolution and to establish God's kingdom and to bring God's rescue. Now, the week of the Passover festival is an interesting time for him to unveil all of this as well. Very charged time. The city is swollen with people. People all over Israel and really all over that part of the world would have stopped what they were doing and traveled to Jerusalem that week. And the city was swollen with people many, many times its normal size. Anytime you get a crowd like that, you're, you're, uh, you've got potential for problems. Throw on top of that, it's the Passover celebration. And Passover celebrates the liberation of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And so there's all these nationalistic, uh, independence-oriented sentiments floating around. And the Romans were not unaware of that. The Roman army and, and their guards were on high alert, and they were going to shut down anything that would, uh, would uh, potentially spark a revolution because the city is ripe for revolution. And now on this Sunday before Passover, we add one revolutionary. And Jesus really is a revolutionary, but again, not a political revolutionary. But this sounds like a political revolution that is breaking out in Jerusalem. So the question is, what does this mean to us? In 2020, in the middle of a pandemic, what can we learn from this account? How does this impact our lives today? And that's what I want to do. I want to break this down because this has so many implications to our lives. And the first one is simply this. Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus was who he said he was. It starts out, this account starts out with Jesus getting on a donkey and riding into town. Now, Jesus fulfilled many prophecies. Uh, it, it, there were hundreds of prophecies written about Jesus hundreds of years before he arrived that Jesus ended up fulfilling. One of them was that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey. Zechariah the prophet wrote this in Zechariah 9.9, 9, 
Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, if you're a skeptic, I know what you're, you're thinking. You're thinking, well, Jesus was aware of that, that prophecy about the Messiah. And in order to fulfill that, he found a donkey and rode into town, which, okay, I hear you. Uh, but the problem with that is that there were so many prophecies about the Messiah that Jesus had no control over that he fulfilled. Like the 30 pieces, even just that week, the 30 pieces of silver that Judas betrayed him for was written about hundreds of years before it happened. The kind of death he would die and the details of that death. The fact that his bones wouldn't be broken when the criminals around him who were being crucified, theirs were and his should have been. The fact that he was going to be led to the slaughter like a lamb and not, not uh, make a, a fuss about it, but would go to, to the, the slaughter like a lamb. Uh, the resurrection and so many other details. There were so many prophecies just in this week, we call it Holy Week from, from today through Easter, that Jesus fulfilled. And over the course of his life, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies, many of which he had zero control over. Now, stati statisticians tell us for one person to fulfill just 48 prophecies is a 1 in 10 to the 157th power probability. What does that mean? It means this. It's a one, one chance in 10 with 157 zeros after it. One time I heard somebody kind of put this into perspective a little bit. They said, if you took silver dollars and spread them out over the state of Texas, if you've ever been to Texas, you know how immense it is. You spread it out over Texas two feet deep and you take one coin and you put an X on the back of it and you hide it somewhere in Texas, it would be the probability of you being able to walk out into Texas, just randomly reach down and grab that coin. It's an impossibility. The prophetic evidence for Jesus being the Messiah, for Jesus being the one who is going to be sent by God is overwhelming. He was who he said he was. He was the one they were waiting for. You know, the second thing that I walk away from this passage with, with is that people, the people, they thought they knew, knew who Jesus was. They thought they knew who Jesus was. And in one respect, they were right. He was the Messiah. And in many respects, they were wrong. They thought he was going to be a political revolutionary. The next king of Israel, the one who would, would defeat the Romans and win their liberation. And when Jesus would talk about the kingdom of God, you know what they heard? They heard the kingdom of Israel. See, they were looking at Jesus through the lens of who and what they wanted him to be. In John chapter 12, verse 12, in John's account of this, it says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. 
They saw Jesus through the lens that they wanted to see him. They saw him as the political revolutionary that they wanted him to be. And that's why they were waving palm branches. That was a national symbol. It, it represented freedom. It would be kind of like us going to a, a parade where the president was coming by and we would all be waving American flags. It was, it was this nationalistic celebration. And the messianic mantras, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, these were all things that pointed to this political fervor, this political hope, this political, it was a political parade is what it was. But that's not why Jesus came. That's not who he was. But you know, we do this, don't we? Many of us watching today, we, we look at Jesus and we form him into what we want him to be. We see him through the lens of what we hope that he will be in our lives. Some of us see him as a political figure, you know, the religious left or the religious right. Some of us, some of us see him as a sugar daddy, you know, Jesus is, you know, if I follow Jesus and I get things right with him, then I'll get what I want. He'll answer my prayers. My kids will be blessed. My business will do well. I'll, you know, whatever. I'll get the things that I need out of life. You know, the prosperity gospel kind of thing. Some of us, some of us look at Jesus and believe that he exists to make us feel good. You know, he's a feel good God. I come to church and I feel better. And you know what? That's true. And that's good. But that's not why he came. That's not his primary purpose. That's not who he is. Some of us look at Jesus and think, oh, he was, he's a great moral teacher. He gives us the principles to live by. And if we live by them, they work, which is true. But he's so much more than that. He's so much more than that. Some of us see Mr. Rogers, you know, or maybe not Mr. Rogers, but Jesus in that painting, uh, the, the, that iconic painting with the long flowing hair and the blue robe and he's carrying lambs. I don't think Jesus ever carried lambs. But anyway, we, we form Jesus in our image and who we want him to be. And in reality, he is who he is. And make no mistake, Jesus knew who he was. Jesus came to lead a revolution. Yes, he did. You bet. But it was a spiritual revolution that took place and takes place to this very day in the hearts of people. You see, Jesus came to save you and he came to save me. Jesus in, in John chapter 12, verse 46 is totally crystal clear on his purpose. He says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. It's a spiritual revolution. People think they know who Jesus is, and there's a lot of people today who think they know what Je who Jesus is because they read it on the internet or they heard it in college or Sunday school or whatever else, and they're missing who Jesus really is. This is who Jesus really is. He came into this world to be a light and so that no one who believes in him should stay in darkness. You know, the third thing that, that we can learn from, from Jesus in all this is that Jesus loves people. I mean, Jesus really loves people. In, in verse 41 in Luke 19, it says this, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. The word for wept there uh, in the original language is not a, a polite cry. This is a this is the word they would use for weeping at a funeral. This is deep grief. Jesus, in the middle of this 
celebratory parade into Jerusalem breaks down. Everybody had to be looking at him like, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you, why, why, this is completely out of place. And this is, this is what it says in verse 42. And then he said this, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. He wept over the people of Jerusalem. The people crowded into that city because they were missing him. They were missing what they were created for, which is a relationship with God. And Jesus understood that it was through him that that relationship was possible. And it broke his heart. See, Jesus loves people. Jesus loves you. You know, before you were a follower of his, if uh, if you are today, before you were, he wept over you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, he weeps over you because he loves you that much. He wants a relationship with you more than anything in the whole world. He loves you. He created you to be in a relationship with him. He weeps over our city. Let me ask you, have you? When you look around at our city or around at your community, do you see the drug epidemic and all the things that are wrong and those people who are messing it all up? Or do you see people who are missing Jesus and need hope and help and love and grace and mercy and salvation? That's what Jesus sees because he cares about people, because he loves people. You know, a few weeks ago, I asked y'all to go and just go on prayer walks through your neighborhoods and through, through our city and through our community. And, and many of you have, and, uh, and, and I want to encourage you to do it again this week. And if you haven't, do it this week. Part of our reflection on, on Holy Week and uh, leading up to the crucifixion on Friday and the resurrection on, on Easter Sunday, as we look at Jesus... Let's look at his heart and let's turn our hearts outward. I think as followers of Jesus, we are to have his heart. The things that break his heart should break our hearts. And I want to invite you to pray for the people in our community, especially in this difficult time. But, but the people who are missing Jesus. And I also want to invite you to take an active role in helping them find and follow him. Sharing in his heart, but sharing in helping people find and follow God. We're going to push out this week uh, invitations on social media and email to our Easter services online. Share those with everybody you know. Text them to everybody in your text list. Email them to everybody in your email list. Push them out on social media. Let's invite everybody we know to hear the good news of Jesus and what he did and why it matters and how it changes everything and how they can go from darkness to light, from death to life in all of its fullness. You know, the fourth thing that we can learn from this passage is simply this. There are consequences to missing Jesus. There are consequences. Sometimes there are physical consequences. There are always spiritual consequences to missing Jesus. And Luke in Luke 19, 43, Jesus goes on at the end of this and says, The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God coming to you. See, Jesus saw this coming. 
he saw this coming. And this, in fact, happened. This is a prophetic statement by Jesus. 35 years later, give or take a couple of years, uh, the Roman Empire comes in and destroys Jerusalem, builds an embankment against its walls, does everything that Jesus says here will happen. And Jesus was like, this doesn't have to happen, but it's going to happen because you missed God's coming to you. See, not only did Jesus fulfill prophecy, but he prophesied with incredible precision. And this happens. I mean, go back and read in the history books, AD 70, it happens. And it's a picture of the consequences of missing Jesus. There is spiritual destruction in our lives. And we may get another 5, 10, 30, 35 years before we face those consequences, but sooner or later, you will face the consequences of missing Jesus, which is an eternity separated from your heavenly Father. And the consequences in this life are missing out on that relationship with Him that you were created for. Fifth thing that we, uh, we can learn from this is simply, Jesus' real purpose was hidden in plain sight. His real purpose was hidden in plain sight. See, the, this is... It's Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Passover. The Jews were celebrating Passover and had been for 1,500 years. Uh, the Passover was the celebration of their liberation from slavery in Egypt. 1,500 years before, God shows up to a guy named Moses and says, look, I need you to go to the most powerful man on the planet who happens to be holding the Israelites in slavery. And I want you to go to him, his name's Pharaoh, and tell him, I said, let my people go. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, God tells you to let his people go, the Israelites. And, and uh, Pharaoh says, no, I'm not doing it. And God sends a, a famine or a plague. And then he sends another plague and another plague. And every time he sends a plague, Pharaoh says, no. And after the ninth plague, God says to Moses, look, I'm going to send a horrible plague. This one is going to take the firstborn male, every firstborn male in Egypt, and they're going to die. He goes, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it over their doors. And it will be a sign to the angel of death when he comes through the land to pass over those houses. The wrath of God will pass over the houses that have the blood of the Lamb on their doors. And that's what happens. And the firstborn males throughout Egypt die, even Pharaoh's own son. And after this plague, the Pharaoh had had enough, and he turned the Israelites loose. And God told Moses the Israelites were to celebrate this, this feast every year, at this time called Passover, and they're to remember our, their, their liberation. This is what they're celebrating, right? This, this week, this is what they're celebrating. For 1,500 years they had been, and actually to this day, Jewish people throughout the world celebrate Passover and tell the story of how God liberated them from slavery. But this one was different. This one 2,000 years ago was a bit different. But Jesus is riding down on a donkey into Jerusalem on the Sunday before Passover. The Sunday before Passover. Get this, this is so cool. 
is lamb selection day. It's the day the families would pick the lamb that they would sacrifice as a sin offering later in the week for the forgiveness of their sins so the wrath of God would pass over their lives. When Jesus first shows up on the scene, John the Baptist sees him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm not even sure John knew exactly what he was saying at the time, but that's exactly who Jesus was. See, Jesus would be sacrificed on a cross later that week, Friday, for the sins of the world, a sin offering, so that the wrath of God would pass over anyone on whom His blood covers. See, Jesus died for you so the wrath of God would pass over your life so that you could be forgiven and be in a relationship with your heavenly Father. Jesus was the final sacrifice, the only one that really worked. And He rides into town on Lamb Selection Day. How cool is that? because He is the Lamb. That's what He was up to that Sunday. His purpose is meaning hidden right there in plain sight. You see, Jesus, He was who He said He was. He fulfilled prophecy. He prophesied in stunning detail. There's so much compelling evidence. He defied expectations. He was the Messiah, but He wasn't the Messiah they were expecting. He came to lead something so much bigger. He loves people. He loves people and He loves you. And His real purpose hasn't changed in 2,000 years. He came to pay for our sins. To be the offering, to be the sacrifice that would cause the wrath of God to pass over our lives so God's mercy and grace would cover us and we could have that relationship with Him. His purpose hasn't changed. He stated it in John chapter 12, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. He has come to bring you and everyone else you know from darkness to life, light, from, from death, spiritual death, separation from God, to life in all His fullness. And He says it right there, the way we do that is to believe in Him, to place your faith in Him. And if you've never do, done that before, I want to give you a chance to do that today. And it's really a simple process. It's profound. It's say, coming to that conclusion of, oh my, I understand and I get it and I believe. And telling Jesus you believe. It starts with a prayer and then it's lived out each and every day, deciding to follow Him. But it starts with a prayer. And I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. If you've never prayed a prayer like that before, pray with me now. Let's just close our eyes. You can bow your head right where you are. Say something along these lines. Doesn't have to be these exact words, but something like this. Say, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. And I ask that you would come into my life. Thank you for dying for me. Today, I choose to place my faith in you. I ask that you would forgive my sins. I ask that you would live in my heart. God, walk me from darkness to light. Fill my life with your presence and lead me 
Show me how to follow you. And help me to do that each day from this day forward. And it is in your name that I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.